We're continuing our series today, Finding God in Your Songs, where I'm choosing a number of songs that have been meaningful to me over the years. Uh, Some of them, most of them come from the classic rock world, although this year that's not really true. The one we're going to hear this morning is the only real classic rock song in the whole, in the, in the series of four this, um, this year. Um, This particular song this morning is a little bit of a guilty pleasure. I must admit it comes from Kansas Some of you may know the group Kansas became popular in the 1970s. Um, They tended to uh, they tended to put out albums that were kind of like this was happening in the time in the time where where you were supposed to listen to the whole album. It it hung together rather than just having popular singles from the album. Um, there were various iterations of Kansas uh, throughout the years with even di- with different names. And finally, uh, in about 76 and 77, they came out with their only two, uh, the only two songs that really were anywhere close to hits. The first one is a real guilty pleasure, which I'm not going to do, which is dust in the wind. That's just too obvious. That's just, it's just too obvious. Um, The one I'm going to do this morning is Carry On Wayward Son. Some of you will know it. This is from the band's fourth studio album called Left Overture. It was put out in 1976. It was um, the first single of uh, Kansas that hit the top 40. And it's actually, when you uh, look into the song, and I'm not an expert musician, so I have this information from someone else, it's, it's quite... Uh, musically of quite high quality. You're kind of surprised if you look into a lot of the classic rock songs, how high quality the the music is just in terms of the way it's put together. And um, you'll notice in this song, there's, there's different styles of guitars and, and ways of playing. There's a very famous guitar riff uh, in this song, which some of you will recognize. Uh, There's excellent organ work. Lots of times in rock, in classic rock groups, the organist had a church background. Sometimes his father or mother was a church organist, and he picked it up and turned it into, oh, you'll see some organ in this. Uh, obviously, the quality of the lyrics, and one of the things that I really like is uh, this um, um, kind of play between uh, a cappella close harmonies and then it goes into rock and roll wailing guitars. There are some wailing guitars here this morning I'm going to subject you to, but I promise this is the last one for this series. So if you can grit your teeth and get through it, uh, we'll all be okay. So I'd like you to listen to Carry On Wayward Son by Kansas. And the first person who's going to appear is the absolute hairiest person in the whole wide world, Robbie Steinhardt, who is the lead singer of Kansas. So here we go, Carry On Wayward Son. Carry on my wayward son There'll be peace when you are done Lay your weary head to rest Don't you cry no more
Once I rose above the noise and confusion Just to get a glimpse beyond this illusion I was soaring ever higher But I flew too high Though my eyes could see I still was a blind man Though my mind could think I still was a man, man I hear the voices when I'm dreaming I can hear them say Carry on all my wayward self There'll be peace when you are done Break your weary head to rest Don't you cry
I love how it ends on an unresolved chord. The passage we're going to use this morning is also a bit of a guilty pleasure. Uh, I don't know if you can think to yourselves, what would be a passage of scripture that would fit by these lyrics? And really, there's only one, um, and it's the parable of the prodigal son. There we go. Somebody had it. So we're going to read it from Luke uh, chapter 15. Uh, It will be projected on the wall, or you can open up your own Bible. One of the most famous parables that Jesus told, starting at verse 11. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the, young, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and draw near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Obviously a very familiar parable, and I'd like to uh, approach it kind of from three different perspectives or or what I've called levels. And a lot of this stuff uh, uh, that I'm using today, I'm borrowing from three three writers. One is Robert Fire Capon. The other one is Henry Nowen, whom you've heard from me before. And the other one is uh, Reverend Tim Keller, who wrote a book on this parable called The Prodigal God. 
So in the first place, the real simple, the real easy thing to pick up from this parable is that there are two wayward sons. There's the younger son, who's an arrogant, proud young man, who demands the death of his father to gain his part of the inheritance, then makes a plan to leave and go as far as he can into a far country out of range of his family and home. And there he squanders his wealth. The word there means scatter it, to waste it in wild living, reckless wild living, focused on his own pleasure and his own indulgence and what made him feel good at that particular time. So here's the one, the very obvious wayward son. Everyone knows this, this is not the way to go. And then there's the other wayward son, the older son, whom Robert Fire Capon calls Mr. Respectability, the head of the Department of Ethics and Moral Philosophy, the man with the volumes and volumes of records that he has kept on himself and on everyone else because he's a record keeper. He's an accountant. He has counted all the hours and all the days that he has worked for his father. He has read the rules. He knows exactly how many they are. there are. He knows exactly what they mean. And he has kept every single one of them. He's been impeccably obedient. He's never disobeyed an order. He stayed at home. He's worked his fingers to the bone, and he's never even thrown a party. He's never had any fun at all. He is the kind of a guy that we would gladly accept as a member in our church. We might even make him an elder. We might even make him a minister. But he's just as lost, just as wayward as the first son. These two wayward sons. Kansas says it very well. Once I rose above the noise and confusion just to get a glimpse beyond the illusion. I think this is a reference to to Icarus who, who, who flew with his wings toward the sun. I was soaring ever higher, but I flew too high. Though my eyes could see, I still was a blind man. Though my mind could think, I still was a madman. I hear the voices when I'm dreaming. I can hear them say, masquerading as a man with a reason. My charade is the event of the season. Both of these young men wanted something out of life. And they were willing to do anything they needed to do to get it. They were looking for purpose. They were looking for self-fulfillment. They were looking for happiness. They were looking for the reason to get up out of bed every morning. And Keller in his book, The Prodigal God, says that um, these, these sons represent two different ways of finding that purpose and meaning in life. And the first one he calls, and this would be the, the younger son, the path of self-fulfillment. Individuals must be free 
to pursue their own goals and self-actualization, regardless of custom and convention, any barriers to personal freedom must be removed. In other words, you go and you do it. Whatever works for you, whatever makes you happy, is the way to find self-fulfillment and purpose in life. And the other way is what Keller calls, this is the older son, the path of moral conformity. We obey the rules. And if we obey the rules, and if we adhere to the rules, everything will turn out okay. We'll get the results we need. If I live right, things will turn out right. And of course, when they don't, I get angry because in the end, everything is a zero-sum game. Henry Nouwen calls both of these approaches to life an addiction. Addicted to self-actualization, to freedom, or an addiction to keeping the rules. And we all fall somewhere along the scale. Somewhere in there, we all struggle. What does it mean to be myself? What does it mean to be me? What's my purpose in life? And is, is seeking freedom the way to do that or adhering to the rules the way to do that? And what's the relationship between all of us? We all fall somewhere in this scale. And for the younger son, the younger wayward son, it's his wrongdoing that keeps him from the father. It's brought him to a far country. And for the older wayward son, it's his right doing that keeps him from the Father. Both of these paths keep you from the Father, keep you from the banquet hall, which is the place where life finally finds its meaning, its fulfillment, its joy, its love, its fruitfulness. And Henry Now, in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, puts it this way. The farther I run from the place where God dwells, whether I'm the older or the younger son, the less I'm able to hear the voice that calls me beloved. Because that's the secret. The less I hear that voice that calls me beloved, the more entangled I become in the manipulations and power games of the world. So strictly on a personal level, this parable is calling us wayward sons and daughters to listen to the voice of the Father and to hear him call us beloved. You are loved. You are loved by God, not because you've kept the rules. And you're no less loved by God because you've gone to the far country. Both sons are beloved. And once you know that you're beloved, and that there's nothing in this whole world that can separate you from that love, that's the foundation upon which you can build. A life that at least in some ways, for as broken as it may be, 
can feel, experience, live in accordance with, and pass on the love of God the Father. These two wayward sons needing to be called back to this banquet hall where they hear the words of the Father, you are beloved regardless. And the accountancy books are thrown away. And the record keeping is thrown away. And the the royal robe is brought out and the ring and the fatted calf is killed. And the party is thrown. And then there's a second perspective or a second level. And I'm referring to that as looking at this parable in its context, because what I've just said now is very individualistic. It's very much about me. It's very much how I stand in life and how I go through life. And it's all very true. But this, this parable is embedded in the context. And we didn't read the verse because it all goes all the way back to the um, verse 1 of chapter 15. But here's the context of this parable. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. Now, when you hear in the New Testament the words tax collectors and sinners, some things uh, should come up in your head. Tax collectors were Jews who collected taxes from Jewish people and gave them to the Romans. They were in the employ of the Romans. So they were, I don't know if they called them traitors exactly, but almost. I mean, can you imagine being a people subjugated by a foreign power? And then one among us is collecting taxes from the rest of us to give to the people who are subjugated. That's just not a good thing. And sinners were people who, for the religious leaders, the Pharisees particularly, and the scribes, they were the people who lived outside of God's law, like the younger son did. And because they lived outside of God's law, they threatened the existence of Israel. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes believed that the Messiah who was going to rescue them would not come until Israel was pure again. So all the people who were not living purely were threatening the very existence of Israel. This is not about, oh, I just went into a bar and had a couple extra drinks. Tax collectors and sinners threatened fundamentally the existence of Israel. And when the Pharisees and the scribes saw that Jesus, who who might have been the, the Messiah, was drawing to himself tax collectors and sinners, they thought this cannot be. We're going here in the wrong direction. They took a poll and everybody said our nation's heading in the wrong direction. This is just not possible. And so they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told the parables, which we didn't read, perhaps you know, of the lost sheep and of the lost coin. And then, of course, of the lost son, or as it's known more nowadays, the waiting father, or as I've already said, Timothy Keller calls it, the prodigal God. So Jesus, in the context of the grumbling of the Pharisees, is saying to them with this parable, look, 
Both of these sons are lost. The sinners are lost, the sinners that you're grumbling about, but you're lost too. You Pharisees and scribes who think you have it together, who think that you're living in such a way that you're purifying the nation so that the Messiah can come and we can be liberated, you're just as lost, you're just as wayward as the sinners and tax collectors. But both are beloved, and both are invited to the feast. And I think this context places this story in the struggle between the empire and God's kingdom. The Pharisees were focused on Israel as God's chosen special privileged people. They were the ones who were going to receive the kingdom, who were going to get the blessing. They were exceptional. They were first. And Jesus says, no. That's not the case. There are no dividing lines. There are no special people. God's kingdom does not work like empire does. Empire works on the basis of materialism, militarism, and racism. And God's kingdom works on the basis of love and acceptance, tearing down walls and drawing all people together and letting all people so well as uh, individuals and groups hear the words from God, you are beloved. So this parable, I think, is also talking about the struggle between empire and the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the scribes, look, this kingdom that I'm talking about works totally differently, totally different than the way empire you're heading for looks like. And then another perspective and another level, and this comes from Henry Nouwen, and I know that I've mentioned this here before over the years, but it's it's just, it was such an eye-opener for me, and it's from his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son. Henry Nouwen says, the whole drive of this parable, the whole drive of carrying these wayward sons And let them hear the voice of the Father calling them beloved, whether that's as an individual or as a group, as a society, is so that we can become like the Father. I'm quoting. When the two sons of the parable of the prodigal son both have returned to their father, what then? The answer is simple. They have to become fathers themselves. Sons have to become fathers. Daughters have to become mothers. Being children of God involves growing up and becoming like God. Jesus doesn't hesitate to say, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Be compassionate as your heavenly father is compassionate. And how do we do that? By welcoming home our lost brothers and sisters in the way our father welcomed us home. Continuing the quote, as long as we belong to this world, we will remain subject to its competitive ways and expect to be rewarded for all the good we do. But when we belong to God who loves us without conditions, we can live as he does. 
The great conversion called for by Jesus is to move from belonging to the world to belonging to God. The great conversion called for by Jesus is to move from belonging to the world, which, which includes this whole scope from, I want to be free, I want to be able to do whatever I want. It's about self-actualization, or I need to keep the rules. That whole spectrum is the world. And the great conversion is that we move from belonging to the world, to thinking that way about the world, to belonging to God, to hearing his voice calling us beloved, and then beginning to open our hearts to all the wayward sons and daughters that are around us, and taking away the barriers and removing the walls So we welcome any prodigal child. We do not build any walls or barriers. We prepare a feast for everyone and for the whole world. So how are you, a wayward prodigal child, on this spectrum of self-actualization to chairman of the Department of Ethics and Moral Responsibility? Where would you fall? How are we as a society a wayward child, a prodigal community? And are we going to come back to the house of the Father? Are we going to listen to that voice that says, you are my beloved child? Come, take the robe, put it on your shoulders, put the ring on your finger, and come join the feast. Because it's the only party that really is going to go on forever. In the last verse of Carry On, Wayward Son. Carry on, you will always remember. Carry on, nothing equals the splendor. Now your life's no longer empty. Surely heaven waits for you. And as I noted, the song ended on an unresolved chord. So what's it going to be? Are you going to hear that voice? Or are you going to keep going? Carry on, you will always remember. Carry on, nothing equals the splendor. Now your life's no longer empty. Surely heaven waits for you. Amen.